So, the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. What's going on here? Jesus rose from the dead 40 days ago, or 50 days ago. 40 days after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven, and then 10 days later, the Holy Spirit came. So there's one God and three divine persons, Father, Son, who is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended upon the infant church 2,000 years ago uh, on this day. And this is what we're commemorating. So, But what does that mean for the church? What does that mean for the world that the Holy Spirit would come? Well, traditionally, we would say that the church began on this day when the Holy Spirit came. But technically, the church is wherever Jesus is. So when Jesus entered Mary's womb 2,000 years ago, that's when the church began. And then 30 years later, he began his public ministry, drawing together his disciples and apostles and building his church. And then at Pentecost is when the church comes alive. And this is what I mean by that. The church needed the Holy Spirit in order for her ministers, for the apostles and disciples to function, to be what it is that they were supposed to be. They had all the tools, they had all the witnesses, uh, they had witnessed everything with Jesus, they had all this knowledge, etc. But now they needed the grace of God to do it. And this is what the Holy Spirit imparts. A little analogy with human beings and the church. All creatures have a soul. I might sound a little strange to you. People have a soul. So do dogs and cats, and so do birds and reptiles and insects, even. They all have a soul. The soul is simply the animating feature that brings something to life. Science, for all of its glory, can one day maybe put together an ant. So a little three-piece three ant head, that middle section, and the that big fat rear end section sort of thing, with all of its little legs might be able to put all that together with all the DNA, all the molecules, the exoskeleton, whatever it is got going and all that and it's all together but then it's still not alive. It's just molecules and DNA. It's not alive. Well what brings it alive? When Frankenstein, that novel about Dr. Frankenstein bringing the guy to life, he takes body parts of this guy from a morgue, and then he brings him to life by having a lightning bolt strike and animate him to come to life. That's not how life works. The animating feature comes from God. It's called a soul. And without it, we just stop functioning immediately. We're just flesh and bones and blood and DNA and molecules. But we're not alive. We all have a soul, and that's what that is. It's just that human beings also have a spirit, and the spirit is associated with the soul. So our soul has a spirit. And so human beings are mind, body, and spirit. The animals would be body and soul, an animating feature of the body, and their mind is operating out of pure nature as opposed to logical deduction, etc., So when I say to you, the Lord be with you, you say in response, and with your spirit. That's right. The church recognizes that the human being and angels possess spirit. So does the church. Without the Holy Spirit, the church is not animated. She doesn't come alive and she can't continue to function and be alive without the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church. We see this modeled in a remarkable way with the Apostles and the Acts of the Apostles. That's that first reading that we had today. The Acts of the Apostles, we hear about what happens to the Apostles 
after Jesus ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down. And then the apostles go into action. From the time of Jesus' death and resurrection until today, the apostles have been hiding and the disciples. They've been hiding. They've been staying away from the civil authorities, trying to stay away from the Sanhedrin and the Jewish priests, etc. But now, after Pentecost, there is a profound change in them. Now they suddenly have this spirit and this animation, and they go into the streets and they begin to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They're so bold as to even tell the executioners of Jesus, the high priests, that you condemned and murdered the Messiah, the one that we have all been waiting for, the Messiah. You put him to death. Knowing that, well, assuming that what will happen to Jesus will now happen to them. And to be sure, the high priests and the civil authorities tried their best to kill them immediately, etc. But it wasn't working. They imprisoned Peter, etc. And there was an earthquake, and God had released him. And, and there was all these other miracles that happened, etc. But these guys, back to this point, they were animated to pro- boldly proclaim the gospel of Christ, knowing that they would be persecuted and even lose their life. They had that prophecy of the loss of their life when Jesus has said to Peter, one day you will be led and taken to where you do not want to go. But they're not afraid anymore. They're not afraid. With the Holy Spirit comes these seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. And here are these seven gifts. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, piety, fear of the Lord. And the one to go is fortitude. And I would say, of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, the one that's most recognizable in a disciple of Jesus Christ, in a baptized person, or one who's received the sacrament of confirmation, is this gift of fortitude, of strength. Of the seven sacraments, the church has one that's very specific to the coming of the Holy Spirit upon each of the baptized. Just as the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost upon the whole church, so too has the church sacramentalized this by giving one of the seven sacraments to the Holy Spirit coming upon each individual who's been baptized. And what is it that we're receiving from the Holy Spirit at that time? Well, the name begins to give it away. Confirmation. Now, in English, we associate that word with commitment. Oh, I confirmed that I'm going to be there for the dinner date. I, I made... I, I, made a confirmation of that. But that's not where the origins of the word come from. Con, C-O-N, means with, and firm comes from the Latin word firmare, which means to strengthen. The sacrament of the Holy Spirit for the individual that you and I have received the sacrament of confirmation is literally the sacrament of strengthening, to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And what does this do? Well, it takes us out of those hiding places, or it can anyway, and gets us to begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and in deed. Proclaiming the gospel to, to our spouse, to our children, our grandchildren, to our brothers and sisters, to co-workers, to people here in the church. Maybe even to total strangers in the marketplace. But that strength from on high finally falls upon us in that sacrament of confirmation, just as it did 2,000 years ago. In that day, on that day of Pentecost. All right, so here are some takeaways from this. Strengthening. 
This idea of strengthening. I'm not going to go to, I don't know, some foreign country and evangelize the gospel. I'm not going to do that because God isn't calling me to that. But the other is, the gospel is needed in the United States as much or more than any other country on earth. So this is the jackpot for souls who need to be saved right here in America. So I'm not going to go to India. I'm not going to go to China or Africa or whatever sort of thing. And I don't think you are either. But right where we're at, God has given us responsibilities in the faith to share that faith and to witness that faith. And for some of us, it means that we'll volunteer for the church to be a catechist, to join a small faith sharing group, to really grow in our own faith, to grow in the virtues, and to share that faith and our virtues with other people too. And that's awesome. And that's awesome. For a lot of other people, the receiving the Holy Spirit means I now have enough strength to make it to Mass on Sunday. And that's where that person is at. That's, they're not going to pray. They're not going to go to confession. They're not going to change your life. But they will go to Mass. They have just enough strength to make it to Mass on Sunday. Or maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's I just have enough strength to pray. And that's all I do. I stay home. I don't don't do anything else for God, I don't do anything else, but there's this little something in me, this little strength that enables me to pray. And then it runs this huge spectrum, doesn't it? From people who would give their whole life for the kingdom of God, to people who can just barely do anything for God. But the Holy Spirit is trying his best to give life to to invigorate and to animate each one of us. And the degree to which we'll let the Holy Spirit do that is entirely up to me and you. And for that, we need to open the doors and windows of our life. Jesus, in that great painting where he's knocking on the door, but there's no door handle on the outside. It has to be opened from within. He can't get in the house unless somebody opens the door. And it's the same thing for the Holy Spirit, for God is that we literally have to avail ourselves and make ourselves available. And praying does that. And reading good Catholic spiritual reading does that. And being with others on their faith journey and sharing ours and them sharing theirs with us does that, etc. But that Holy Spirit in so many ways, I think, is helping us in ways that we can't see. In some ways, yes, we can see it. I can certainly see it in my life. Here I am, an ordained priest, Preaching. What am I doing? What, what is going on? Well, obviously the Holy Spirit's working in my life at some profound level. But I think it's working in all of our lives. It's just that we don't necessarily recognize it. When you have that inspiration to come to Mass early to pray the whole rosary with the parishioners before Mass, there's the Holy Spirit. Oh, go, go, get out the door early, go. Get the inspiration to leave my pastor's column last Sunday and what happens to you after you die on the bathroom next to the toilet for the spouse who never goes to church and they sit down and they see it and they go well that's strange they start reading Father Nathan's pastor's column oh you know there's the Holy Spirit working in that spouse to get that thing right there so that guy can read that and that's really good happening all the time but happening too in levels in which there isn't an explicit understanding of the faith Just holding things together. Holding life together. The Holy Spirit operating in the life of a confirmed Catholic so they won't take their life. 
because they've fallen into the dark well of depression and cannot find the light out. And unbeknownst to them, the Holy Spirit is keeping them from doing it and keeping them alive. And in so many myriad, myriads of ways, the Holy Spirit and that great strength, that animation that brings life and gives life and sustains it, is working in our lives in ways we don't know. I want to finish with a story from my own childhood. This is a hard story for me to share. (laughs) And my throat's kind of dry today, too. So... um, I'm very blessed to have had the parents I had. I wouldn't be a priest today without them, no doubt about it. My parents, in so many ways, were fantastic parents. My dad, though, had this great problem of his anger. A lot of you know people like that. So he wasn't an alcoholic, he wasn't a flander, he wasn't on any of but he did have this big problem with his anger. And so he yelled all the time. It was 365 days of the year. I would say he was sustained yelling for 360. And I don't want to dish on my dad. I love my dad. Again, I wouldn't be a priest without my dad. He taught me very many things, especially perseverance. You don't quit. How many people quit? But my parents, they just didn't. You know, my dad was yelling at mom every day. Every day. And it wasn't a moment. It was like sustained yelling for 30 minutes to two hours to two hours a day. And it was not healthy. It was, it was just terrible. And I always wondered, why, why is mom not leaving dad? What's going on here? What's, what's happening? Well, my parents did this one thing, and I attribute it to my younger brother and I have talked about it, and we both are in agreement. It was the one thing that kept them together through the pain of my dad's anger. And it was that when my dad went off to work in the morning, they would kneel down together and pray the sequence that you just heard the choir sing after the second reading. It's called the Golden Sequence, and we're not even sure who the author of it was, but when the cardinals gather in Rome to elect a new pope, that's what they pray, is what you just heard. When my parents were engaged, actually when they were getting married, my mom's mom gave them that prayer and said, I want the two of you to memorize it and pray it every day. And they both looked at it and thought, memorize it? There's no way. It's three times the length of the Our Father. But they would keep praying it, and in time they would memorize it, and they had it memorized. And even my younger brother and I would kind of kneel down behind them sometimes and try to mumble the words. But I'm absolutely convicted that without that prayer, without that little linchpin, the door would have come off and it would have been the end of their marriage. Unbeknownst to them, the Holy Spirit was in their life strengthening them. My parents would have seven babies and have nine permanent foster children, two of them developmentally disabled. And the number of college degrees and marriages that are intact today from that marriage are amazing, amazing. Maybe it wasn't for them that they were staying together. Maybe God had bigger plans that if the two of you stay together, your children will marry and they will stay together. And one of them will become a priest and help thousands and thousands of people. So in that way, a window or a door was open to heaven 
and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit through this prayer, the Golden Sequence. And I'm convinced it saved their marriage, that it saved their marriage. My parents died years ago, and they've been interceding for me ever since. So their work didn't end on earth. They're still at work for me and my siblings and their children and their children. I want to conclude by reading through this prayer, this golden sequence, prayer to the Holy Spirit. And listening into this prayer, the great consolation that is in it and the hidden strength that underlies it all. And if you, if you would try to memorize it and pray it daily, and I and my younger brother have for over 20 years, I promise you the strength of the Holy Spirit too. Come, Holy Spirit, come, and from your celestial home shed a ray of light divine. Come, Father of the poor, come, source of all our store, come within our bosom shine. You of comforters the best, you the soul's most welcome guest, sweet refreshment here below. In our labor rest most sweet, grateful coolness in the heat, solace in the midst of woe. O most blessed light divine, shine within these hearts of yours, and our inmost being fill. Where you are not, we have not, nothing good indeed or thought, nothing free of taint of ill. Heal our wounds, our strength renew, on our dryness pour your dew. Wash the stains of guilt away. Bend the stubborn heart and will, melt the frozen, warm the chill, guide the steps that go astray. On the faithful who adore and confess you evermore, in your sevenfold gift to sin, give them virtue, sure reward. Give them your salvation, Lord. Give them joys that never end. Amen. Alleluia.